Have you ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online? Most sites make it complicated and then try to sneak in huge fees at checkout. That's why you need to try SeatGeek. They've made it easier than ever to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. Now, the baseball season is, of course, finished, so I won't be on it as much looking for tickets for baseball, or at all, really. I mean, what games are there? But uh, comedy is is a big thing I like to enjoy during the winter. And so you can st- you can use SeatGeek for everything else. Concerts, that's kind of all-encompassing when it comes to comedy shows, um, you know, theater shows, actual, con- you know, music concerts, all sorts of different stuff. Uh, they got Broadway, music festivals, they got everything on there. So you can still use it to find that. In fact, I was just looking the other day uh, to find some, some Seinfeld tickets. So I'm kind of interested to see what I'm going to be able to find there. He's coming uh, in January. So Now, SeatGeek has taken all the work and hassle out of shopping for tickets. SeatGeek pulls the tickets available on other sites all into one place, so you save time and you never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming games, and SeatGeek will let you know if prices fall. Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value, so you can immediately find underpriced seats. And before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat. Best of all, SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price. Unlike StubHub, SeatGeek shows you the full price from start to finish and never surprises you with huge fees at checkout. In fact, I can get you 20 bucks just for listening to the show. All you have to do is uh, download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, and click add a promo. Enter the promo code SLEEPER. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase with them. So again, just download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code SLEEPER today. the sleeper and the bus i'm your host paul spore here for the first edition of the uh, mailbag episode of the sleeper and the bus gonna go ahead and give this a shot see how it works curious uh for feedback on it as well so please let me know you know some of these are obviously going to be specific tailored questions that go to uh, uh, uh someone's keepers <clears throat> and i understand that, that that might not have you know complete usefulness i i you know to everybody but i'm also going to try to have questions where i talk about specific players and so you hear the thoughts on those players and that may help you even if you're not necessarily concerned if you know john from tennessee is keeping the guy at five dollars or ten dollars you get to hear my thoughts on how i feel that player will do so without further ado let's go ahead and see how this goes and start with an email from david says, I finished first and second the last two seasons. Would have won if I didn't start Ian Kennedy on the last day, but who knew, right? 90% of my success is due to the show, so thank you. First off, before I finish the email, thank you so much. It's definitely not 90%. You're out there doing the work. You deserve the credit, but I really appreciate that you said that about our show. Uh, Anyway, back to it. Here's my dilemma. Which two of the four do I keep? Ender Inciarte at a dollar. Jose Ramirez at a dollar. Jay Happ at a dollar, Chris Tillman at a dollar, or excuse me, Chris Tillman at two dollars. So that's uh, four players, three of them a dollar, one of them two dollars. And then he goes, gives some specifics on his league. It's a $325 um, cap, daily transactions. It's seven by seven with uh, OBP and slug and homers allowed and uh, losses being added in. So those are some interesting. 
Those are some interesting quirks there, particularly the home runs allowed and, and losses on the pitcher side. OBP and slug, that kind of makes sense. Then you have three rate stats, four counting categories. Uh, the setup looks pretty standard. Uh, well, actually, no, it's not. It's not at all. It's uh, catcher first, second, third, short, three outfielders, two utilities, three starters, three relievers, and three whatever pitchers, plus six bench. 27 um, inning limit minimum. And I'm, so this sounds like a head-to-head. Okay, okay, here we go. This is this is getting into a little bit differently now. Uh, we're going to extend this, but don't know what to. My guess is to about 36 innings. So you're going to have to have – you can't just go um, – three relievers and three more relievers in those open pitcher slots, I guess. Okay. Last two years, I rolled with four starting pitchers, bench whoever wasn't starting, and six relievers that were actual relief pitchers, not just closers. Was always around 40 innings, but don't want to risk missing on it uh, and losing all seven pitching categories. Okay. Two years ago, I realized that non-closers were not used at all, so I, I realized I could get 10 to 12 Really good innings, cheap, keep the ERA and whip in line while padding the Ks. For example, I had $2 Michael Givens, $1 Brock, Brad Brock, um, and $3 Hunter Strickland. I'm assuming that RPs will still be underutilized because of the innings raise, and that's true. So here's his keepers that he has right now. Posey at 48 at catcher. Votto, 24 at first. Daniel Murphy, 15 at second base. Rake Lamb, $3 at third base. Starling Marte, $39 in the outfield. Max Scherzer, $37 as a starter. And Ken Giles, $6 as a reliever. I'm leaning towards Happ and Tillman because with Scherzer, I don't need Happ and Tillman to be great. I need them to be essentially Garrett Richards good. Reliable, strong outings, but I'm not dependent on their success. Scherzer, I need him to be great, and even with the homers, he was. Tillman and Happ, I need close to quality starts, a.k.a. you know, three runs, six innings every time out would be more than perfect. And I think it's unlikely that I will get them this cheap next year. I know for a fact that I won't get Ramirez or Inciarte that cheap next season, but I figure finding a decent outfield midseason for a buck is easier than finding an above-average starter for a dollar. And I'm very confident that I will be able to get an above that I will be able to get above-average relievers for a dollar. So it really comes down to will Hap and Tillman be average or above-average starting pitchers next season. All right, so that, again, that email is from David. A little detailed there. Again, I know some of you aren't going to care about the details, but we're really talking about now about four players, Jay Happ, Chris Tillman, Ender Inciarte, and Jose Ramirez. <clears throat> now, for me, I value Happ and Tillman quite closely. I buy the gains that we've seen out of Happ that allowed him to find some success in the AL Beast. And, you know, he's unlikely to post another 20-4 and record or even the 318 ERA but I think he can win 15 with a 360, which is almost exactly what Tillman did and has essentially done in three of the last four years. So choosing between them, I actually lean slightly toward Tillman because of the age and the bullpen he has to protect his leads. Uh, I think the offenses will be close after they kind of shuffle pieces around to account for losses. Both teams are going to lose some pieces. I think that they'll be active in um, adequately or you know reasonably replacing those. Toronto's already brought in Kendris Morales. That that covers some of the sting of Bautista and Encarnacion, and they'll get another piece. And it might not equal what Encarnacion and Bautista did, but I think actually Morales is going to be really good out there. And if they get like a Dexter Fowler or an Ian Desmond, you add those two together. Uh, consider that Bautista was not great last year, Encarnacion was, but I think two uh, two new pieces in Toronto is going to kind of keep them relatively similar, offensively speaking. I'm trying to think. Uh, Weeders is going to be gone. Trumbo's going to be gone. I think they're going to be able to replace that production as well in Baltimore. 
So I don't think I'd keep both because I actually want to keep Jose Ramirez around. He was essentially Brantley's 2015 light. Uh, Michael Brantley's 2015 light, just a little bit lighter, trading some of the offense for positional value as he had short, second, third, and outfield this year. Now, neither of the middle infield positions carry over to next year, but he could reasonably earn one of them in season next year, and he still has third base outfield, which I know those are two positions that aren't necessarily thin. We don't think of them as thin, although I will say, and I say this regularly, outfield is, is consistently thin. It's seen as as deep because there's so much star power, but nobody ever accounts for the fact that we need five in most leagues, three in this league, but a lot of the uh, two utility guys will be outfielders as well. So let's keep that in mind. So we're looking at a 23-year-old who had a believable breakout that I that I can actually see repeating or maybe even improving upon it. So for me, I'm looking at Tillman and Ramirez here. Now, again, Tillman and Hap, they're really kind of a coin flip. Age was what was what pushed me toward Tillman. I think there's a, a good four or five year gap between those two, and that's enough to kind of push me over toward Tillman. I've been a Tillman backer in the past. Um, I Again, the skills, you're not going to see a lot of separation. They're both in the AL Beast. They're both in parks that can put them in some trouble. If somebody says, I got to keep Hap over Tillman instead, I'm not going to push back. I think they're so close that you can just kind of take your preference. For me, it's Tillman. Inciarte, I like him, but I think Jose Ramirez does just about what he does, what, what Inciarte does with the batting average or, or can be expected to and adds more, has a little bit more pop, has um, pretty much equal speed, and then has the, the flexibility of multiple positions while possibly adding positions. Right now, it's Jason Kipnis, Francisco Lindor. They're locked in at second and short, but we don't know if they're going to play 162 games. You know, you never know that coming in, especially somebody like Kipnis. So for me, I'm going to go Jose Ramirez and Chris Tillman. Hope that helps, David. All right, next question is from Brad. 12-team keeper, NL only, $280 budget, three-year contract, savvy group with good keepers. So players often go a lot higher at auction than pre-generated values. So that's probably a lot of inflation. Uh, plus five per year to keep after the first three years. Hope that's enough info, but not too much. That, that is good info. General question. How far do you go in saving money for uh, a flags fly forever strategy? Do you try to avoid extending anyone who is who isn't coming on a super cheap rookie contract? And then he has specific examples. I have Ryan Braun at $25 for $25 for 2017 or $30 for 2017 and 2018. Would you extend him? On the other end of the spectrum, I have Travis Jankowski for $1 for 2017 or $6 for 17 and 18. Would you keep the $10 per year to try to buy an, an additional player? Thanks. Love your work. Thank you for the nice comment there, Brad. Um, regarding the general question, I usually try to avoid extending pitchers and batters older than about 28 years old before judging on a case-by-case basis. Absolutely no one would be surprised if Braun was worth uh, 30 or more the next two years. But age alone rules him out for an extension for me, even before we acknowledge his injury history, which has limited him to you know 135 to 140 games each of the last three seasons. So I'm sticking with him at 25 only uh, for the 2017 season only. Do not extend Ryan Braun. Jankowski for me is only valuable as a $1 guy. 
And this gets to a general point for me. I think sometimes we fantasy managers overvalue $1 players solely on the basis of there being $1. Not all $1 guys are useful. Now, that isn't the case with Jankowski. He has enough speed to be a positive value at a buck, even with a weak bat. But I I try to be careful about clouding my judgment on $1 guys just because that $1 feels so great to plug in somebody that is a little bit of a known commodity. And I I see it happen in my NL only league, which has very similar rules to yours, uh, where people I think make bad $1 keeps. This would not be a bad $1 keep. You know, Jankowski stole 30 bases and 383 plate appearances. So even if he were limited to say 300 plate appearances, he could easily swipe 20 plus and still still churn out a double-digit dollar value, even with a sub-700 OPS. That's a solid, passable fifth outfielder in an NL only. But the bat is so bad that he may only get this year to prove himself. And so I'd rather just take my one shot, and then if he fails to improve at the dish, boom, I'm not committed. And if he does, fine. I'll, if he does improve, and let's say he kind of busts out a little bit, plays 550 plate appearances, steals 35 bags, and hits a 725 OPS, which isn't great. But again, we're talking about his skill sets. So Travis Jankowski, that would actually be pretty useful. Fine. Then I lose out uh, next year, and I'll try to find the next Jankowski. Or maybe you just buy him back if you really love him in 2018 for 8 to $12. And yeah, it's more than the 6 that you'd pay, but you are in more control of it. I just don't see him being a good enough player that I want to risk two years because nobody, again, you know, I said nobody would be surprised if, if Braun was 30 plus the next two years. Nobody would be surprised if Jankowski was uh, making the, the path back and forth between AAA and the majors in 2018 with more AAA time than major league time. All right, Brad, hopefully that helps. All right, next up, we have uh, Will, uh, Willie, excuse me, Paul. Greetings from Lake Tahoe, where it's never terrible. I'm a 58-year-old dude with Parkinson's disease and an NFBC player. When, when I was diagnosed, it was suggested that I do activities to keep my mind sharp. What better way than high-stakes fantasy against the best sharks in the business? I listen to every sleeper in the bust. Great show. I have a strange player request to ask about. Where do you see David Peralta going in your early drafts? He was going 6th, 7th, 8th rounds last year and seems a bit lost on the radar. Keep up the great work, my man. Tahoe Willie. Willie, first off, I'm sorry you're battling such a brutal disease, but I'm glad you found such a great outlet to you know, stave off some of its effects and you know, allow you to have something that focuses your mind elsewhere instead of you know, focusing on the fact that you are battling this disease. So I hope that you continue to stay sharp and dominate your leagues. Uh, let's talk a little Peralta, though, because I think you bring up a great player here um, in, in terms of a great player to talk about. Not, not necessarily a great elite level player, but a very good one. And I think you nail it 100%. He has been forgotten. He's fallen off the radar uh, to a degree that is a little bit shocking to me. Now, he went 12th round in the NFBC style draft I did in Arizona back in November. So he's not completely off the radar from a standpoint of you're getting him in the 20s or the late teens. But I believe he's fallen off the radar to the degree that, that you're talking about where you're saying last year we were looking at him as an OF2, maybe a third outfielder if you really stacked outfield early on. But he was supposed to be kind of a centerpiece foundational player. And now he's a little bit forgotten. And I love speculating on him in a double-digit round. We can, we can essentially excuse 
his uh, his 2016 season to the wrist and, and even a back injury. Uh, and even with that, even with the wrist and back injuries, I think the wrist gave him three DL stints in the back of fourth, or maybe it's two in and one but either way he had multiple dl stints uh due to the wrist and then a back was thrown in even with that he still had a 181 iso which is pretty good you know it wasn't the 200 plus that we'd been seeing but that's not bad so even with struggles even with a, a reason for his problems um he was still popping out a 181 iso which is which is pretty solid now it's a little bit muted because the power surged across the league but still he was playing through it and, and putting up some numbers. I think a healthy David Peralta will still rake righties, which is enough to carry his value, even if he's just okay to slightly below average against lefties. So I think he's somebody that you really should look to target, again, in those early double-digit rounds. Um, I don't even know if you have to do round 10. So let's say around 11 through 13. And then you maybe you can kind of, I think we'll see him go later than that in some drafts. I probably won't let him get later than that, though. I'm very comfortable taking him in the 12th or 13th round. I didn't get him in that 12th round, uh, but but in that when he went off the board, I was like, ooh, dang, I did kind of forget about David Peralta, and I'm mad that I did. So I thought that that was a, a sharp pick when I saw him come off the board there in that league that I did in Arizona. And I'm trying to look now to see uh, who else this team had. So he'd already had Harper and Stanton as his first two outfielders. So Peralta's his third outfielder. And I like that because he, he was able to wait uh, a long time and start stocking up the rest of his infield and pitching before he had to go back to the outfield well. And he got somebody who could really, really contribute. By the way, a little bit off the um, off the radar uh, further off the radar, but similar in, in terms of Peralta, is Corey Dickerson. And that same team got Corey Dickerson in the 18th. So obviously, Corey Dickerson's circumstance has greatly changed with him now playing in Tampa Bay instead of Coors. And so you understand that that's going to drop the price. But I don't think he's somebody that you should completely forget as well. He also kind of uh, played through injuries. He, he didn't have the DL stints. He played 100 more games than Peralta. But I don't think he was terribly healthy throughout a lot of the season. So I think he's another guy that you want to keep an eye on and and see what, what Corey Dickerson can do. And if you're getting him in the 18th round, maybe Tampa Bay realizes, listen, we got to platoon you a little bit more. They let him play 68 games and 113 plate appearances against lefties last year. He had a 589 OPS. And that really skewed the fact that he had an 807 OPS and 22 of his 24 homers against righties. So if they say you're a right-handed only guy, you'll get a few plate appearances against lefties, he's going to easily return value on an 18th round pick. So David Peralta and Corey Dickerson, two lefties who, uh, you know, health track record is a little bit dented recently, but I think you could see uh, taking them late and, and returning some surplus value. Next up is Brian. Tyler Skaggs has been a sleeper for a couple of years. Metrics last year might be skewed coming back from injury, but I think I'm thinking 2017 may be his year to break out in a good pitcher's park. Saw a couple of early projections on fan graphs that place him among AL leaders in 2017. Might this be a good time to buy? What do you see as his upside? Another great name to bring up. You know, that's why I picked this one. I've always been a Tyler Skaggs fan. And I think I'm actually a fan more now. By the way, let me get this in before we get there. He says, keep up the good work, Brian. P.S. I saw Seinfeld last time he was in Austin. Highly recommend. He was great. Tell you what, 
I've seen him three times. You couldn't be more right. Love Seinfeld. I try to see him anytime I can. I did miss him, I think, his last time through. But um, I believe he's planning another tour right now. Or maybe maybe he's still on it from when you saw him. I don't know. I feel like I saw that where tickets were available for Seinfeld recently. And I try to go anytime he's in town. Absolutely my favorite uh, comedian my favorite show ever is Seinfeld. He was, you know, there was a while where I was an aspiring stand-up comic, and it was because of Seinfeld. I absolutely love him, and uh, he has great life. So I, I agree. Yeah, if you folks get a chance to go see him live, you should definitely do it. Anyway, back to Skaggs. I've been in, I've been intrigued by Skaggs since his prospect days, and frankly, he wasn't too bad for 50 innings returning from Tommy John from a results standpoint. But I think he was even more impressive. From a skills standpoint, he had a career-best 23% strikeout rate. And underline this, perhaps the most important thing is that his velocity spiked to 93 miles per hour from the left side. Uh, with the Diamondbacks, he was throwing 89-91. And then with the Angels in 2014, before the injury, he was throwing more 92-93, but he was averaging 92. So that's probably more 91-93. But um, this year... This past season, 2016, again, it's only 50 innings, but he was averaging 92.8. That's sharp. From the left side, that is really, really good. So I definitely like that. It was helping get helping him get more strikeouts. Now, there were more walks, too. Not surprising when you return from Tommy John. The command and control are kind of the last pieces to come together, and you do usually get a tick of velocity. So we did see everything kind of play out. This is kind of a standard Tommy John return. But let's kind of just look at what, what he's got going right now for Tyler Skaggs. Elite velocity if it sticks. And even if it drops back another mile, per, you know, let's say it goes back to 92. That's still good from the left side. That, 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 that is still pos, uh, plus. It's just not plus plus. Uh, he has a great changeup, which uh, helps mitigate platoon splits. And he has three velocity levels with his pitches, which is nice. You got the uh, 91, 93 fastball and when and if you're averaging 93 i'm sure he's spiked 94 95 at times so you got you got your mid 90s fastball low to mid 90s fastball you got your 86 mile per hour change up so it's not quite that 10 10 mile per hour change but again we're talking averages here so if he's cooking in the 93 95 range uh in the early innings and then he's pushing the change up 85 86 you're right around that 10 mile per hour change uh, difference but either way the changeup is good and it it's not just because of the velocity split it's always been a good changeup i think it will continue to be and then he has a hammer curve at 76 miles per hour on average and that's the swing and miss pitch that's the devastator that's the one that helped him spike those um spike those strikeouts to 9.1 k's per 9 aka 23% strikeout rate so I think there's a lot of factors here that that really, really bode well for Tyler Skaggs. And as you say, set him up to maybe have his breakout year finally. To your point about the uh, projections, Steamer's given him a 352 ERA and a 121 whip for 172 innings. That's really, really good. I mean, Tyler Skaggs is still a 25-year-old lefty here. I don't think we can we can sleep on him. I think he's somebody that um, is a bit forgotten. There might be a little bit of it's not even necessarily prospect fatigue because he used his prospect status, you know, a couple years ago. But it might just be kind of like, oh, he's been in the consciousness for a while now. But he debuted at 20. So he, you know, he was he was a prospect as a teen, and and his early twenties have been spent in the majors trying to kind of get it together. The fact that he's only going to be twenty five years old, I think, speaks well for for uh, for Tyler Skaggs, and he's certainly somebody that's on my radar. And by the way, taking more of a broad point, if Garrett Richards is healthy, now 
I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go if heavy here to to help you Angels fans uh, stay warm during the ugly winter. But if Richards is healthy and if Shoemaker comes back from the from the uh, hit in the head, which is of course health as well, it's just a different uh, aspect. It's not arm health. It's it's kind of the mental and and, and his brain, I guess. You know, it was it was bad. He he got devastated with that with that bad at ball. But if you got those two and Skaggs as your one two three. And they can really deliver a hundred, you know, let's just say one hundred and seventy innings a piece. Plus, you know, let's let's just put them at a one seventy and say anything beyond that would be nice. That's a nice trio. And then you got Nolasco and Ricky Nolasco and Jesse Chavez at the back end. You don't need them to be great when you're working those one, two, three. Now the lineup, I just I can't I can't do much for you uh, on hyping up the lineup. You got a solid outfield. You got the best player in the game, of course, Mike Trout, Cole Calhoun, Cameron Maben, solid corners, and then Pujols, um, who's kind of be coming off I think another foot surgery, but he's probably gonna be DH only with CJ Cron, CJ Crone. Um, you know. It kind of dies off there. Right now, roster resource has Cliff Pennington in at second base, Jet Bandy at catcher. I know Jet Bandy, I think he flashed some pop last year. I don't know too much about uh, his, his overall prospects. Um, you know, Escobar is a solid, you know, two hitter who's in the mold of the olden days two hitter where you just want a high contact guy who can kind of move the runners along, but that's not bad. What could really maybe turn this around is if Angleton Simmons ever got his act together. Although I think at this point we got to stop pretending that that's going to happen. So um, there's a little bit more excitement on the pitching end for for the Angels, but I really like Skaggs. I I definitely think he's somebody that we should keep an eye out for, Brian. And I think it's a good name that you bring up. I'm trying to see real quickly if he was even drafted in the in that draft that I did out in Arizona. Again, it was twenty. We did twenty three of. 50 rounds and the other 27 are going to be done starting in January uh, on the internet and it's a draft and hold league so these are our 50 guys for the entire year and no Skaggs pardon me Skaggs did not go and so that's gonna be interesting maybe I can get him early um, in those in those mid-20s rounds when when we get back on the board of course some people in that league listen to this podcast so they're all moving them up their board now but that's that's a really interesting name keep Tyler Skaggs on your board keep David Peralta on your board um, these are two guys that that were brought up I, I picked these specifically because they are guys that aren't getting as much love as you'd expect because you know Skaggs coming off Tommy John only threw 50 innings Peralta only played 48 games because of health don't forget about either of them Anyway, thanks for the emails, y'all. We have, I have plenty more, so I have more episodes lined up to do this. I'm also going to be looking at maybe doing a written mailbag with some of the questions that are a little bit more tailored uh, for, for writing. But let me know what you think about this. Again, I know so, I don't need the feedback of I don't care about Johnny Two Cents' keepers. I get that. We know that. But I'm using it as an outlet to talk about certain players and that's that's the goal here, while also giving some some of you specifically some help for your league. So hopefully you like these. These are going to be solo episodes, kind of range probably in the uh, 30 to 40 minute uh, area. Let's see, this one's checking in right around that 30 minutes right now. So that's, that's what it's going to be like. Uh, it's not going to take away from the other stuff that we do with Jason and Eno and Paul K going to get back into the fold as well. Uh, it's going to be in addition to, so, you know, if if your worries are that, um, then don't worry about that as well. 
But let me know on Twitter at Spore. And, of course, you can email yourself, sleeperpod at gmail.com. Feel free to send your questions. And, again, whatever type of question you think can, can get me talking about fantasy baseball in a way that you're interested in hearing, feel free to send it in. It does not have to be keeper questions. It can be as simple as here's three you know mid-tier pitchers that I like. What do you think about them? I you know, that's fine. And I'll, and I'll go ahead and dive in on them, um, individually. So let me know again. Thanks for listening. Sleeperpod at gmail.com, Twitter at Spore. Peace.